Chapter 7 The next day, Jude Folly was pausing in his bedroom with the sloping ceiling, looking at the books on the table, and then at the black mark on the plaster above them, made by the smoke of his lamp in the past months. It was Sunday afternoon, four and twenty hours after his meeting with Arabella Dawn. During the whole bygone week, he had been resolving to set this afternoon apart for a special purpose, the re-reading of his Greek Testament, his new one, with a better type than his old copy, following Griesbach's text, as amended by numerous correctors and with variorium readings in the margin. He was proud of the book, having obtained it by boldly writing to its London publisher, a thing he had never done before. He had anticipated much pleasure in this afternoon's reading, under the quiet roof of his great-aunt's house, as formerly, where he now slept only two nights a week. But a new thing, a great hitch, had happened yesterday in the gliding and noiseless current of his life, and he felt, as a snake must feel who have sloughed off its winter skin and cannot understand the brightness and sensitiveness of its new one. He would not go out to meet her, after all. He sat down, opened the book, and with his elbows firmly planted on the table and his hands to his temples, began at the beginning. Ikeni diethiki, or the New Testament. Had he promised to call her? Surely he had. She would wait indoors, poor girl, and waste all her afternoon on account of him. There was a something in her, too which was very winning, apart from promises. He ought not to break faith with her, even though he could only, Sundays and weekday evenings, for reading he could afford one afternoon, seeing that other young men afforded so many. After today, he would probably never see her again. Indeed, it would be impossible, considering what his plans were. In short, as if materially, a compelling arm of extraordinary muscular power seized hold of him, something which had nothing in common with the spirits and influences that moved him hitherto. This seemed to care little for his reason and his will, nothing for his so-called elevated intentions, and moved him along as a violent schoolmaster, a schoolboy he has seized by the collar, in a direction which tended toward the embrace of a woman for whom he had no respect, and whose life had nothing in common with his own except locality. The New Testament was no more heeded, and the predestinate Jude sprang up and across the room. Foreseeing such an event, he had already arrayed himself in his best clothes. In three minutes he was out of the house and descending by the path across the wide vacant hollow of corn ground which lay between the village and the isolated house of Arabella in the dip beyond the upland. As he walked, he looked at his watch. He could be back in two hours easily, and a good long time would still remain to him for reading after tea. Passing the few unhealthy fir trees and cottage where the path joined the highway he hastened along, and struck away to the left, descending the steep side of the country to the west of the brown house. Here at the base of the chalk formation he neared the brook that oozed from it, and followed the stream till he reached her dwelling. A smell of piggeries came from the back, and the grunting of the originators of that smell. He entered the garden and knocked at the door with the knob of his stick. Somebody had seen him through the window, for a male voice on the inside said, Arabella, here's your young man come courting, Miss Old My Girl. Jude winced at the words. Courting 
in such a business-like aspect as it evidently were to the speaker was the last thing he was thinking of. He was going to walk with her, perhaps kiss her, but courting was too coolly purposeful to be anything but repugnant to his ideas. The door was opened, and he entered, just as Arabella came downstairs in radiant walking attire. "'Take a chair, Mr. What's-Your-Name,' said her father, an energetic, black-whiskered man in the same business-like tones Jude had heard from outside. "'I'd rather go out at once, wouldn't you?' she whispered to Jude. "'Yes,' said he. "'We'll walk up to the brown house and back. We can do it in half an hour.' Arabella looked so handsome amid her untidy surroundings that he felt glad he had come, and all the misgivings vanished that had hitherto haunted him. First they clambered to the top of the great down, during which ascent he had occasionally to take her hand to assist her. They bore off to the left along the crest onto the ridgeway, which they followed till it intersected the high road at the brown house aforesaid, the spot of his former fervid desires to behold Christminster. But he forgot them now. He talked the commonest local twaddle to Arabella with greater zest than he would have felt in discussing all the philosophies with all the dons in the recently adorned university, and passed the spot where he had knelt to Diana and Phoebus without remembering that there were any such people in the mythology, or the sun was anything else than a useful lamp for illuminating Arabella's face. An indescribable lightness of heel served to lift him along, and Jude, the incipient scholar, prospective D.D., professor, bishop, and what not, felt himself honored and glorified by the condescension of this handsome country wench, in agreeing to take a walk with him in her Sunday frock and ribbons. They reached the barn. They reached the brown house barn, the point at which he had planned to turn back. While looking over the vast northern landscape from this spot, they were struck by the rise of a dense volume of smoke from the neighborhood of the little town which lay beneath them at a distance of a couple of miles. "'It is a fire,' said Arabella. "'Let's run and see it. Do. It is not far.' The tenderness which had grown up in Jude's bosom left him no will to thwart her inclination now, which pleased him in affording him excuse for a longer time with her. They started off down the hill, almost at a trot, but on gaining level ground at the bottom and walking a mile, they had found that the spot of the fire was much farther off than it had seemed. Having begun their journey, however, they pushed on, but it was not till five o'clock that they found themselves on the scene, the distance being altogether about half a dozen miles from Mary Green and three from Arabella's. The conflagration had been got under by the time they reached it and after a short inspection of the melancholy ruins, they retraced their steps, their course lying through the town of Alfredson. Arabella said she would like some tea, and they entered an inn of an inferior class and gave their order. As it was not for beer, they had to wait a long time. A maidservant recognized Jude and whispered her to surprise to her mistress in the background that he, the student, who kept himself up so particular, should suddenly descend so low as to be, as to keep company with Arabella. The latter guessed what was being said, and laughed as she met the serious and tender gaze of her lover, the low and triumphant laugh of a careless woman who sees she is winning her game. They sat and looked round the room, and at the picture of Samson and Delilah, which hung on the wall, and at the circular beer stains on the table, 
and at the spittoons underfoot filled with sawdust. The whole aspect of the scene had that depressing effect on Jude, which few places can produce, like a taproom on a Sunday evening, when the setting sun is slanting in, and no liquor is going, and the unfortunate wayfarer finds himself with no other haven of rest. It began to grow dusk. They could wait no longer, really, for the tea, they said. Yet what else can we do? asked Jude. It's a three-mile walk for you. I suppose we could have some beer, said Arabella. Beer? Oh, yes. I had forgotten that. Somehow it seems odd to come to a public house for beer on a Sunday evening. But we didn't. No, we didn't. Jude, by this time, wished he was out of such an uncongenial atmosphere, but he ordered the beer, which was promptly brought. Arabella tasted it. Ugh, she said. Jude tasted. What's the matter with it? he asked. I don't understand beer very much now, it is true. I like it well enough, but it is bad to read on, and I find coffee better. But this seems all right. Adulterated. I can't touch it. She mentioned three or four ingredients that she detected in the liquor beyond malt and hops, much to Jude's surprise. How much you know, he said good-humoredly. Nevertheless, she returned to the beer and drank her share, and they were on their way. It was now nearly dark, and as soon as they had withdrawn from the lights of the town, they walked closer together, till they touched each other. She wondered why he did not put his arm round her waist, but he did not. He merely said what to himself seemed like quite a bold thing enough. Take my arm. She took it, thoroughly, up to the shoulder. He felt the warmth of her body against his and putting his stick in his other arm, held with his, with his right hand her right as it rested in its place. "'Now we are well together, dear, aren't we?' he observed. "'Yes,' said she, adding to herself, rather mild. "'How fast I have become!' he was thinking. Thus they walked till they reached the foot of the upland, where they could see the white highway ascending before them in the gloom. From this point, the only way of getting to Arabella's was by going up the incline and dipping again into her valley on the right. Before they had climbed far, they were nearly run into by two men who had been walking on the grass unseen. These lovers, you find them out of doors in all seasons and weathers, lovers and homeless dogs only, said one of the men as they vanished down the hill. Arabella, Arabella tittered lightly. Aren't we lovers? asked Jude. You know best. But can you tell me? For answer, she inclined her head upon his shoulder. Jude took the hint, and encircling her waist with his arm, pulled her to him and kissed her. They walked now no longer arm in arm, but, as she had desired, clasped together. After all, what did it matter since it was dark? said Jude to himself. When they were halfway up the long hill, they paused as by arrangement, and he kissed her again. They reached the top and he kissed her once more. "'You can keep your arm there if you would like to,' she said gently. He did so, thinking how trusting she was. Thus they slowly went towards her home. He had left his cottage half-past three, intending to be sitting down again to the New Testament by half-past five. It was nine o'clock when, with another embrace, he stood to deliver her up at her father's door. She asked him to come in, if only for a minute, as it would seem so odd otherwise, and as if she had been out alone in the dark. He gave way and followed her in. 
Immediately that the door was opened, he found, in addition to her parents, several neighbors sitting round. They all spoke in a congratulatory manner, and took him seriously as Arabella's intended partner. They did not belong to his set or circle, and he felt out of place and embarrassed. He had not meant this. A mere afternoon of pleasant walking with Arabella, that was all he had meant. He did not stay longer than to speak to her stepmother, a simple, quiet woman without features or character, and bidding them all a good night, plunged with a sense of relief onto the track over the down. But that sense was only temporary. Arabella soon reasserted her sway in his soul. He walked as if he felt himself to be another man from the Jude of yesterday. What were his books to him? What were his intentions hitherto adhered to so strictly as to not wasting a single minute of time day by day? Wasting. It depended on your point of view to define that. He was just living for the first time, not wasting life. It was better to love a woman than to be a graduate or a parson, aye, or a pope. When he got back to the house, his aunt had gone to bed, and a general consciousness of his neglect seemed written on the face of all things confronting him. He went upstairs without a light, and the dim interior of his room accosted him with sad inquiry. There lay his book open, just as he had left it, and the capital letters on the title page regarding him with fixed reproach in the gray starlight, like the unclosed eyes of a dead man. Ikani Diathiki Jude had to leave early next morning for his usual week of absence at lodgings, and it was with a sense of futility that he threw into his basket upon his tools and other necessaries the unread book he had brought with him. He kept his impassioned doings a secret, almost from himself. Arabella, on the contrary, made them public among all her friends and acquaintance. Retracing by the light of dawn the road he had followed a few hours earlier under cover of darkness with his sweetheart by his side, he reached the bottom of the hill where he walked slowly and stood still. He was on the spot where he had given her the first kiss. As the sun only had just risen, it was possible that nobody had passed there since. Jude looked on the ground and sighed. He looked closely and could just discern in the damp dust the imprints of their feet as they had stood locked in each other's arms. She was not there now, and the embroidery of imagination upon the stuff of nature so depicted her past presence that a void was in his heart which nothing could fill. A pollard willow stood close to the place, and that willow was different from all other willows in the world utter annihilation of the six days which must elapse before he could see her again as he had promised would have been his intense wish if he had only the week to live. An hour and a half later Arabella came along the same way with her two companions of the Saturday. She passed unheedingly the scene of the kiss, and the willow that marked it, though chattering freely on the subject to the other two. And what did he tell you next? Then he said, as she related, almost word for word, some of his tenderest speeches. If Jude had been behind the fence, he would have felt not a little surprised at learning how very few of his sayings and doings on the previous evening were private. "'You've got him to care for you a bit, gnashing if you hadn't,' murmured Annie judiciously. "'It's well to be you.' In a few moments, Arabella replied in a curiously low, hungry tone of latent sensuousness. I've got him to care for me, yes, 
but I want him to more than care for me. I want him to have me, to marry me. I must have him. I can't do without him. He's the sort of man I long for. I shall go mad if I can't give myself to him altogether. I felt I should when I first saw him. As he is a romancing, straightforward, honest chap, he's to be had. And, as a husband, if you're set about catching him in the right way. Arabella remained silent, thinking a while. What may be the right way? she asked. Oh, you don't know? You don't? said Sarah, the third girl. On my word, I don't. No further, that is, than by plain courting and taking care he don't go too far. The third girl looked at the second. She don't know. Tis clear she don't, said Annie. And, having lived in a town too, as one may say, well, we can teach ye summit then, as well as you us. Yes, and how do you mean, a sure way to gain a man? Take me for an innocent and have done with it. As a husband. As a husband. A countryman that's honorable and serious-minded such as he. God forbid that I should say a soldier or sailor or a commercial gent from the towns, or any of them that be slippery with poor women. I'd do no friend to that harm. Well, such as he, of course. Arabella's companions looked at each other, and turning up their eyes in drollery, began smirking. Then one went up close to Arabella, and, although nobody was near, imparted some information in a low tone, the other observing curiously the effect upon Arabella. Ah, said the last named slowly, I own I didn't think of it that way. But suppose he isn't honorable. A woman better not have tried it. Nothing venture, nothing have. Besides, you make sure that he's honorable before you begin. You'd be safe enough with yours. I wish I had the chance. Lots of girls do it. Or do you think they'd get married at all? Arabella perused her way in silent thought. I'll try it, she whispered, but not to them. Chapter 8 One week's end, Jude was, as usual, walking out to his aunt's at Marygreen from his lodging in Alfredston, a walk which now had large attractions for him, quite other than his desire to see his aged and morose relative. He diverged to the right before ascending the hill with the single purpose of gaining, on his way, a glimpse of Arabella that should not come into the reckoning of regular appointments. Before quite reaching the homestead, his alert eye perceived the top of her head moving quickly hither and thither over the garden hedge. Entering the gate, he found that three young unfattened pigs had escaped from their sty by leaping clean over the top and that she was endeavoring, unassisted, to drive them in through the door which she had set open. The lines of her countenance changed from the rigidity of business to the softness of love when she saw Jude, and she bent her eyes languishingly upon him. The animals took advantage of the pause by doubling and bolting out of the way. They were only put in this morning, she cried, stimulated to pursue in spite of her lover's presence. They were drove from Spatenholt Farm only yesterday, where father bought them at a stiff price enough. They are wanting to get home again, the stupid toads. Will you shut the garden gate, dear, and help me get them in? There are no menfolk at home, only mother, and they'll be lost if we don't mind. He set himself to assist, and dodged this way and that over the potato rows and the cabbages. 
every now and then they ran together, when he caught her for a moment and kissed her. The first pig got back promptly, the second with some difficulty, the third, a long-legged creature, was more obstinate and agile. He plunged through a hole in the garden hedge and into the lane. She'll be lost if I don't follow him, said she. Come along with me. She rushed in full pursuit out of the garden, Jude alongside her, barely contriving to keep the fugitive in sight. Occasionally they would shout to some boy to stop the animal, but he always wriggled past and ran on as before. Let me take your hand, darling, said Jude. You are getting out of breath. She gave him her now hot hand with apparent willingness, and they trotted along together. This comes of driving him home, she remarked. They always know the way back if you do that. They ought to have been carted over. By this time the pig had reached an unfastened gate, admitting to the open down, across which he sped with all the agility his little legs afforded. As soon as the pursuers had entered and ascended to the top of the high ground, it became apparent that they would have to run all the way to the farmers if they wished to get at him. From this summit he could be seen as a minute speck following an unerring line towards his old home. "'It is no good,' cried Arabella. "'He'll be there long before we get there. It doesn't matter now we know he's not lost or stolen on the way. They'll see it as ours and send him back. Oh dear, how hot I'd be!' Without relinquishing her hold of Jude's hand, she swerved aside and flung herself down on the sod under a stunted thorn precipitately pulling Jude to his knees at the same time. Oh, I ask pardon, I nearly threw you down, didn't I? But I'm so tired. She lay supine and straight as an arrow on the sloping sod of this hilltop, gazing up into the blue miles of sky, and still retaining her warm hold of Jude's hand. He reclined on his elbow near her. We've run all this way for nothing, she went on her form heaving and falling in quick pants. Her face flushed, her full red lips parted, and a fine dew of perspiration on her skin. Well, why don't you speak, dearie? I'm blown too. It was all uphill. They were in absolute solitude, the most apparent of all solitudes, that of empty surrounding space. Nobody could be nearer than a mile to them without their seeing him. They were, in fact, on one of the summits of the country and distant landscape around Christminster could be discerned from where they lay, but Jude did not think of that then. Oh, I can see a pretty thing up this tree, said Arabella, a sort of a caterpillar of the most loveliest green and yellow you ever came across. Where? said Jude, sitting up. You can't see him there, you must come here, said she. He bent nearer, put his head in front of hers. No, I can't see it, he said. Why on the limb where it branches off, close to the moving leaf, there? She gently pulled him down beside her. I don't see it, he repeated, the back of his head against her cheek. But I can, perhaps standing up. He stood accordingly, placing himself in the direct line of her gaze. How stupid you are she said crossly, turning away her face. I don't care to see it. Dear, why should I? He replied, looking down upon her. Get up, Abby. Why? I want you to let me kiss you. I've been waiting ever so long. She rolled round her face, remained a moment, looking 
deedily aslant at him, then, with a slight curl of the lip, sprang to her feet and exclaimed abruptly, I must mizzle, and walked off quickly homeward. Jude followed and rejoined her. Just one, he coaxed. Shan't, she said. He, surprised, what's the matter? She kept her two lips resentfully together, and Jude followed her like a pet lamb till she slackened her pace and walked beside him, talking calmly on indifferent subjects and always checking him if he tried to take her hands or clasp her waist. Thus they descended to the precincts of her father's homestead, and Arabella went in, nodding goodbye to him with a supercilious, affronted air. I expect I took too much liberty with her somehow, Jude said to himself as he withdrew with a sigh and went on to Mary Green. On Sunday morning, the interior of Arabella's home was, as usual, the scene of a grand weekly cooking, the preparation of the special Sunday dinner. Her father was shaving before a little glass hung on the mullion of the window, and her mother and Arabella herself were shelling beans hard by. A neighbor passed on her way home from morning service at the nearest church, and seeing Don engaged at the window with the razor, nodded and came in. She at once spoke playfully to Arabella. Is it running with them? <laughs> I hope tis coming to something. Arabella merely threw a look of consciousness into her face without raising her eyes. He's for Christmas, I hear, as soon as he can get there. Have you heard that lately? Quite lately? asked Arabella with a jealous, tigerish indrawing of breath. Oh no, but it has been known a long time that it is his plan. He only waiting here for an opening. Ah, well, he must walk about with somebody, I suppose. Young men don't mean much nowadays. Tis a sip here and a sip there with them. Twas different in my time. With the gossip had departed. When the gossip had departed, Arabella said suddenly to her mother, I want you and father to go inquire how the Edlins be this evening after tea. Or no, there's evening service at Fensworth. You can walk to that. Oh, what's up tonight then? Nothing. I only want the house to myself. He's shy, and I can't get him to come in when you're here. I shall let him slip through my fingers, if I don't mind, much as I care for him. If it is fine, we may well go, since you wish. In the afternoon, Arabella met and walked with Jude, who had now for weeks ceased to look into a book of Greek, Latin, or any other tongue. They wandered up the slopes till they reached the green track along the ridge, which they followed to the circular British earth bank adjoining, Jude thinking of the great age of the trackway, and the drovers who had frequented it, probably before the Romans knew the country. Up from the level lands below them floated the chime of church bells. Presently they were reduced to one note, which quickened, and stopped. Now we'll go back, said Arabella, who had attended to the sounds. Jude assented. So long as he was near her, he minded little where he was. When they arrived at her house, he said lingeringly, I won't come in. Why are you in such a hurry to go in tonight? It's not near dark. Wait a moment, said she. She tried the handle of the door and found it locked. Ah, they've gone to church, she added, and searching behind the scraper, she found the key and unlocked the door. Now you'll come in a moment, she asked lightly. We shall be all alone.
Certainly, said Jude without alacrity, the case being unexpectedly altered. Indoors they went. Did he want any tea? No, it was too late. He would rather sit and talk to her. She took off her jacket and hat, and they sat down, naturally close enough together. Don't touch me, please, she said softly. I am part eggshell, or perhaps I'd better put it in a safe place. She began unfastening the collar of her gown. What is it? said her lover. An egg. A cochin's egg. I am hatching a very rare sort. I carried a bow everywhere with me, and it will get hatched in less than three weeks. Where do you carry it? Just here. She put her hand into her bosom and drew out the egg, which was wrapped in wool, outside it being a piece of pig's bladder in case of accidents. Having exhibited it to him, she put it back. Now mind you don't come near me. I don't want to get it broke and have to begin another. Why do you do such a strange thing? It's an old custom, I suppose. It is natural for a woman to want to bring live things into the world. It is very awkward for me just now, he said laughing. It serves you right. There, that's all you can have of me. She had turned round her chair and, reaching over the back of it, presented her cheek to him gingerly. That's very shabby of you. You should have catched me a minute ago when I had put the egg down. There, she said defiantly. I am without it now. She had quickly withdrawn the egg a second time, but before he could quite reach her, she had put it back as quickly, laughing with the excitement of her strategy. Then there was a little struggle, Jude making a plunge for it and capturing it triumphantly. Her face flushed, and becoming suddenly conscious, he flushed also. They looked at each other panting, till he rose and said, One kiss, now I can do it without damage to property, and I'll go. But she had jumped up, too. You must find me first, she cried. Her lover followed her as she withdrew. It was now dark inside the room, and the window being small, he could not discover for a long time what had become of her, till a laugh revealed her to have rushed up the stairs, whither Drude rushed at her heels.